Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll speak about the Scriptures. Lord God, we thank you for the grace, for the joy, for the fellowship and friendship that welcomes us in this time and place every week. We thank you that we can open the Scriptures, and perhaps more importantly, that your Spirit opens ours. We want to be inspired. We want to be educated. We want to be filled with not just knowledge, but we want to be filled with your Spirit so that we can do, so that we can live, so that we can love as you would have us love. That's why we're here, not just to study, but to be changed and to live the life that you lead us to into Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's talk about the Scriptures because they have important things to say to us. We are talking about, interestingly, a rather timely topic. How is it that we get along with each other? How do we have unity and community within the human family? We've been speaking about our unity and community with God, and now we're talking about how it happens in the life of the church. We're thinking about who we are as people who follow Jesus Christ. And we've got a couple of interesting passages to look at today. First of all, from the Old Testament book of Exodus, a passage that should be somewhat familiar to all of us because it is part of the conversation that God has with Moses as God appears to Moses in the burning bush on the mountain. Y'all remember hearing about the burning bush? Do you remember coloring pictures of the burning bush in fourth grade or, you know, four-year-old kindergarten, all that stuff? This is what we're talking about. God has just appeared in the burning bush and gotten Moses' attention with the burning bush and called out to Moses and started a conversation with Moses, and we're going to read a piece of that conversation. So we'll be in Exodus 3, verses 7 through 12, Exodus 3, 7 through 12, and then one verse from chapter 5, verse 1. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites." This cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So, come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. And then chapter 5, verse 1. Afterward, after Moses and Aaron had been talking with Pharaoh, they went to Pharaoh and said, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go so that they may celebrate a festival to me in the wilderness. Let my people go. Okay, let's do what we often do here, and let's just get some ideas uh, as, as you have already read some of these scriptures, thought about them, or as you've heard them being read now. What are the images, the thoughts, the ideas, the statements that rise up out of you and say, oh, that's interesting, that says something? What's going on in your head as we read this? Absolutely nothing. No. <laughs> 
Yes, Lynn. The Lord hears us crying. I have heard the cries of my people. Good one. Good one. We'll go somewhere with that. Let's get some others out on the table. Yes. How intimately the Lord loves us. Um, he has seen our affliction, mm -hmm. heard our cry, is aware of our suffering. He's met us. He's come to our rescue. He intimately loves us and wants us for his own. Yeah, yeah. He There's a whole sermon outline right there. Thank you. <laughs> no. He intimately cares. He sees. He's involved. He hears our cries, right? He knows our suffering. Don't let me get out of here with talking about that knowing our suffering phrase. That's, that's huge here. Yes. He gives assignments. He gives assignments. Yes. Are you a teacher? Were you a retired? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. But he, he insists on certain people doing what they're supposed to do. He so. does indeed. He does indeed. Yeah. People say, I would love for God to show up in my life. And what we don't realize is that usually when God does show up in your life, it's to give you a job. And often it's a very hard job. But that's exactly what he does with Moses, right? Moses, you are going to go to Pharaoh. Yes. And when he gives us these assignments... He equips us, even though we're not aware of it. He says, I will go with you. I will be with you. And as we have read, we know that he tells him and he equips him and he strengthens him and he gives him the courage that he needs. Yes. And that's what he does for us. When yes. he gives, tells us to do something, he equips us. That's exactly right. It doesn't say, Moses, you go do this and come back and report to me. <laughs> Figure it out on your own, right? He says to Moses, I'm with you. Beautiful, beautiful. Keep going. What else rises up out of this? Yes. 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 He's not way out there. He's right here. Yes. I love Bette Midler. You've heard me rail on this song before. God is watching us from a distance. You remember that song? I think it, what was the, what was the movie that that was in? Anyhow, it's go, it goes back a ways now. Yeah. God is not up there watching us from a distance. God is right here living life with us. Yeah. Yeah. What else comes up out of this? What else comes up out of this? Yes. got to make this journey, God's saying, I will give you some signs, this will happen, you will be worshiping me, so it's not like he just sends him out on an errand, he is also reassuring Moses because Moses is not feeling too capable. Exactly. He's reassuring Moses, saying, I'm going to be with you. I, we're, going to, we're going to maintain a relationship with each other. That's what the whole worship thing is about. Absolutely. Absolutely. What else? Do any of you have a picture in your mind? You know, wasn't it Charlton Heston that was Moses, you know, stands and stands it, or was it Yul Brynner? No, Yul Brynner was the Pharaoh, right? I'm trying to remember these old movies. All of my theology is old movies and country western songs, pretty much. <laughs> Um, and every once in a while, you know, a, a, a fortune and a fortune cookie. Um, but yeah, can, can you hear Moses saying to Pharaoh, let my people go? There's a great song that is an old spiritual, let my people go. It was created by the African-American slaves in this country who use that as their own cry. That's a whole other story, isn't it? Absolutely. What else bubbles up out of this? Anything? Yes. That God can empower us if we let him in. There we go. That God can empower us if we let him in, right? Moses doesn't want to let him in. 
who am I that I should go see Pharaoh? Go pick somebody else. And, and Moses doesn't really answer, or God doesn't really answer Moses, does he? He doesn't say, I have picked you uh, because you have a degree from such and such place and because you have such and such job experience and all this stuff. It's just, I'll be with you, right? Interesting, interesting. Okay, this is all great stuff. This is all great stuff. Let's talk about this. Let's walk through this a little bit. God appears and says, I have observed, I have heard, I have listened, I have seen, I have known your sufferings, right? I have known your sufferings. That word know in the Hebrew is not just about, I have read a newspaper headline and I have, I have taken note of what is happening. No. That word know means I have actually participated with you in your suffering. I have been in your suffering with you. One of the big scandals, one of the big uh, new ideas that began to come into the world through the life of God with the Jewish people and that uh, kind of became crystallized, if you will, in Jesus, was that God chooses to suffer with us. That was a radical idea then, and frankly, it's a radical idea now. If you say to people that are outside of the Judeo-Christian tradition, and any, even many of them who are inside that tradition, if you say, you know, God cares so much that He, he chooses to suffer, He chooses to experience pain, with us. That was an unheard of idea in the ancient world. The pagan folks believed there were gods everywhere, and they played with us. They used us for their enjoyment and their entertainment, but they would never, never think about being one with us in our suffering, but that's part of what this message is. Why do you think God would do that? Why would God choose to pay attention to us, to suffer with us, to live life with us. He loves us. How do we know He loves us? Have you noticed what, there's one word in here, and it's a word I'll be focusing on, but there's an interesting word here. Look at uh, verse 7, I have observed the misery of my people. Verse 10, so come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people. Verse 1 in chapter 5, let my people go. My people. Can you pronounce all those names in verse, what is it, verse 8? Canaanite you can get, right? Canaanites, Hivites, Amorites, Perizzites, Jebusites. Those were a lot of other peoples. They were individual and distinct people groups, small nations, if you will. God says, my people are the Israelites. There's all kinds of ites there. All kinds of ites there. What kind of people do you come from? Who are your people? Do we have any Scots in here? Any Scottish folks in here? Okay. Any English folks in here? Okay. Any Bolivian folks in here? Okay. Any Vietnamese? Any Irish? Any Germans? Any French? Any Texans? Do we have any Texans in here? <laughs> right? right? Angolans? Kenyans? Yeah, see, that was just a wild guess, Judy. <laughs> what a deal, right? We all come from some kind of people. 
One of the big stories here is that the God of the whole universe has come to Abraham, and now he's come to one of Abraham's descendants and said, you're my people. You're my people. How many of you have a sort of possessive kind of attitude toward some other people in the world? Do you have people? Do you have people? I have people. I have kids. I have grandkids. I have a wife. I have friends. I have people that are my people. Don't mess with my people. (laughs) Right? That's part of the the overarching sense that we get here uh, is, is that we're learning that God doesn't want people messing with His people, right? Don't mess with my people. I've heard their suffering. I'm going to do something about my people. And what is it that God wants done with His people? Let them go. What does God want for His people? What does God want for you? Freedom. Freedom. Freedom to do what? To worship Him, okay? Freedom to be obedient to Him. The actual literal word that's used in much of the Hebrew, and especially in the Greek, is not to be God's servant. We oftentimes, we talk about being God's servant, right? Uh, Being God's follower, being God's disciple. Especially in the New Testament Greek, when we refer back to some of these Old Testament passages, the word that's literally used is slave. Remember that the fundamental experience that's discussed in the Old Testament is about the Hebrews' slavery to the Egyptians and how God freed them from that slavery in the Exodus. This is the beginning of the story of the Exodus, right? And then in the New Testament, we have the story of how Jesus freed us from our slavery to sin and death so that we could be obedient to Him. God says to Moses, tell the Pharaoh to let you go so you can be obedient not to Pharaoh, but to me. It is in our obedience, it's in our worship to God that we find our freedom, actually. There's an interesting dynamic that goes on here. A lot of the the spiritual truth that's discussed in the Bible is rather counterintuitive, right? We want to be free. We want to be our own masters. How many of you want to be your own master? We all want to be our own master. We don't want to pay attention to what anybody has to say about our lives. And that works really, really well on the human scale, in the human dimension, if you will. But it does not work so well in the human divine dimension. It's our choice to be our own masters that gets us into trouble when we say to God, yeah, but I am going to eat of the tree of good and evil and do things my own way. So one of the big stories of the Bible is about choosing to whom you will be obedient. And why do we choose God? We choose God because God has first chosen us, my people, right? God says to Moses, Go say to the Pharaoh, let my people go. Now, here's an interesting question. Is God interested only in the Israelites? No, there are some people who would say that. There are some people still today who would say that God really is only interested in 
what we would say maybe the Jews, the Hebrew people, the Israelites, right? He chose them from among everyone else. God doesn't care about the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Parasites and the Amorites. But I have news for you. Most of us in this room are actually not racially, biologically, historically related to the Israelites as much as we are related to the Hivites and the Parasites and the Jebusites. I'll bet there's some folks in this room that have some Hivite blood running in them or Jebusite blood running in you. Yeah. What's that? Who would know? Yes, who would know? Yeah, those groups of people, it's fascinating when you go back into biblical archaeology, those groups of people still exist, right? They don't exist with that name, but their biological heritage still lives on in the Middle East and is spread all around the world. We read about them as ancient people groups and say, well, they're gone now. No, they're not gone now, right? One of the big stories of Scripture is that God is doing something big with the Israelite people as a way of demonstrating what God wants done with all people. That's part of the Christian story, okay? That's part of the Christian story. Now, let's get to that Christian story. Let's go to 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 10. 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10. And let me, let me set up the context of this before we read it. Okay, if you follow the whole flow of the story of the Bible, God comes to Abraham, says, I'm going to make you a great nation. You're going to be my people. Abraham has a big family. The family finds itself enslaved in Egypt. God leads them out of Egypt. He frees them from that slavery. They go live in the, the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. They become a nation, but then they struggle. Eventually they fail. They are conquered. They are overthrown. And then God shows up in Jesus, right? And Jesus says, God is making a new people, a new nation. God is doing something different with us. And some of the Jews actually begin to believe that. And some of the Jews say Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus has created a new reality. And then they try to begin to figure out how it is that they are this new nation of people. That's what Peter is really talking about in his letters. Let's read that text and then we'll take that apart a little bit. Come to him, come to Jesus, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, see I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. To you then who believe, He is precious. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner, and a stone that makes them stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let me ask you another question. 
what kind of groups do you belong to? Is anybody here a member of PEO? Okay. Is anybody here a member of the Republican Party or the Democrat Party? Okay. Is anybody here a member of a sorority or were you in a sorority at some point? Anybody here in a sorority? Anybody here in a fraternity? <laughs> There's only a few of us that qualify for that. What other groups do you belong to? T tell me some of the groups you belong to. Yes. Say it again. A tennis club, okay. Women's Bible study, okay. Book club? Golf club? Moms in prayer, cool. Cool, yes. Genealogical society, excellent, excellent, yes. Say it again. The Tootsies. Oh, wait, we got to figure that out. What's, what are the Tootsies? What do they do? Oh, that's cool. A bunch of ladies that get together so you can go places as a group. That's cool. And you're the Tootsies. That's great. That's great. Yes. Rotary. There we go. Nidwits. Nidwits. Absolutely. Anybody here remember the National Quilt Society? There we go. My wife's in the National Quilt Society. Anybody have, uh, here have a membership in ARBA? The National Convention of ARBA is going on right now, I think in Illinois, some, or maybe it's in Reno this year. The American Rabbit Breeders Association. <laughs> I thought everybody knew about ARBA, <laughs> right? How about, now, you, I, there, there probably actually is Spebsqua. Spebsqua is one of my favorite ones. Anybody here know what Spebsqua is? It is the Society for the Preservation and Encouragement of Barbershop Quartet Singing in America. Okay, anybody here been in Sweet Adelines? There we go. There we go. The, the, the female counterpart to the barbershop sort of thing. Yeah, the Sweet Adelines. What's that? Choir. There we go. Choir is a cult, I think, actually. It's, you know. <laughs> yes, what else? AARP, God bless them, yes. <laughs> what else? Presbyterians, okay, what else? Yes. Dance clubs, oh, that's cool, that's cool. We are all part of lots of different organizations, aren't we? Right? DAR, Daughters of the American Revolution. Got a DAR over here. Let me ask you, what is the most important group of people that you belong to? Your family? Your spiritual family. The family of God. God says to Moses, you are my people. He doesn't say you're an SAE or a PEO or an ARBA or a SPEBSQUA. He says you're my people. The issue for the early church, one of many, was to help people understand their new identity. We identify in many different ways, don't we? 
We identify as male or female or some relative version thereof. We identify as an East Coast person or a West Coast person. We identify based on our politics, based on our racial background, based on our political preferences, based on our preferences for whether we like to quilt or raise rabbits or whatever it is that we do. All of those different ways we express and actually derive our identity. But what is our true identity? For the early church, first of all for the Jews who had decided to follow Jesus, they had to understand what being a follower of Jesus was about. Now for the Jews, they already understood. They were the people of God, right? Now the Jewish Christians had to understand that that Jesus gave a new sense of definition to who the people of God were. But for the Gentiles, it was a whole different question. You see, Paul and the other early Christian missionaries started going to talk to the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, and all the others, and saying, come into the family and be part of the people of God. What is your fundamental group? Now, a lot of us would say our family, right? I was born into this family. But when we say we are spiritually born, we're born into a different family. And Peter's talking about that here. Look at all the different ways he talks about it. He, Peter has about 18 different images here, 18 different pictures of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He says, you're going to be a living stone built into a living building. That's one of the ways the church is talked about. We're a building of God, right? We're a new temple of God, right? Peter says, you are a chosen race. Every one of us has a racial background. A lot of us have a very mixed racial background. I think that's kind of a cool thing. God is mixing it all up. It's much healthier for us, right? You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Do you know that you're a priest? Ooh, cool means you get to wear fancy clothes and all kinds of exciting things, right? Your royal priesthood, a holy nation, not a nation like all the other nations, not a political nation, but a holy nation, right? And then the one that I want to focus on today, God's own people. God's own people. There is someone who owns you. Have you thought about that? There is someone who owns you. There is someone to whom you belong. Isn't that an interesting thought? There is a, 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 by now it's an old Presbyterian confession that says, in life and in death, we belong to God. That is one of the most beautiful statements I've ever heard in my life. In life and in death, we belong to God. We have children, we think they belong to us. They belong to God. We get married, we think our spouse belongs to us. No, they belong to God. In life and in death, God owns us. We are God's own people. Notice that God has called us to be His people. God has come and claimed us to be His people. God has come and invited us to be His people. We can reject God's ownership. 
Moses could have said to God, you know, God, that's a really interesting idea and plan. See you later. Jonah tried that. (laughs) And he eventually ended up where God wanted him to end up, right? Notice that Peter says that we are called to be God's people so that we may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Someone mentioned earlier that when God shows up, God had had a plan for Moses. God had a job for Moses to do. God has a job for all of us to do because we're His people. Once we were not people, now we are people. How many of you have been rejected by some grouping of people who did not want you to be part of their group? Anybody here? Have you been rejected before? Blackballed, maybe? Or you're standing there getting picked for the basketball team, and they look at you and say, no, I don't think so, (laughs) or whatever it is, right? We are all rejected. We all have been rejected before. Yes. Thank you for applying. We're not interested. You once were not people. You once were not in a relationship with God. Now God has given you that relationship. Let's talk about that a little bit. What would you do with that fact? Think about the fact that God has wrapped His arms around you and said, you're mine. What does that do for you? What does that give you? Comfort. Who said comfort? Comfort. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Embraced and warm and cozy. Those are all good things. I like being embraced and warm and cozy. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of the reasons I go hug people a lot, because usually they hug you back, and I like being hugged. Yeah. (laughs) What else? You're never alone, even though you live alone. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You remind me of a story my my first mother-in-law told me one time. I asked her what it was like uh, after her her first husband died, my wife's father, my first wife's father. It's complicated. At any rate, uh, she was kind of a timid person. Um, and I said, how was that, you know, that, that first little while of living in the house by yourself? And she said, the most fascinating thing happened. The very first night after Glenn had died, she was sitting alone in the house and she was kind of afraid. And all of a sudden, this presence came over her that made her feel like she was being hugged. And she said, I knew it was God and I was not alone. And I've never been afraid since. Right? Totally. Totally. Yeah, God's calling you right now. <laughs> what else does that do for you? To know that you are part... Yes. You feel secure. Yes. Yes, you feel secure. You, feel, you can feel at home in the world, even when the world is blowing up around you, because you know the God of the universe claims you as His own. Yeah. You feel safe. You feel safe. How many of you have been in dangerous, dicey situations before? Anybody here? I know many of you have. Yes, yes, absolutely. And the world is not a safe place, and I'm not encouraging you to go willingly, willy-nilly into danger, but, but we live in a dangerous world. Believe it or not, even right here is a dangerous world. There is danger around us all the time, everywhere. Something bad could happen. Here's the good news for today. Something bad could happen to you right now. But we are secure. Yes, what else? Strength. 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 Go back to Moses. 
right? Moses was just a herdsman out there in the middle of nowhere. He'd had some really bad experiences with Pharaoh and with the Hebrew people, and he was done with all that stuff, and God says, you're going to go right back into the heart of it and do something big, really, really big. What would you do if you'd been Moses? You would have done exactly what Moses did, said, ain't me. But God gives strength. God gives strength. How many of you are, you don't have to raise your hand on this one. How many of you are dealing with something right now that is taking a lot of your strength? It's taking a lot of your courage. It's taking everything you've got just to keep on going with it. Right? When God says, you're mine, you belong to me, think of the power that gives you. What else does it give you? Be not afraid. One of my favorite passages in Scripture. I, I really think, you know, you can boil the Bible down to some really, really key phrases. That's one of them. Be not afraid, right? I like this one, let my people go. Let my people. I feel like going to the Middle East and saying that to a few folks today. <laughs> Don't get me started. <laughs> let my people go, right? What else does it give to you? Yes, Judy. Assurance. Assurance. You're absolutely certain that whatever goes on, God is there. And that ultimately, it's going to be okay. You might go through a lot of hell to get there, right? But ultimately, it's going to be okay. Assurance. Assurance. What else does it give you? Yes. Confidence. Yes, confidence. Exactly. God has given us a huge job to do, right? Look at that job description that's there in 1 Peter, right? In order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, right? That's your job. Your job today, should you decide to accept it, this is kind of the, what was it, Mission Impossible. You remember the early Mission Impossibles, right? Is to go do really big stuff. Now, not always big stuff. Usually it's a whole bunch of small stuff. Sometimes it's big stuff, but even the small stuff gets to be pretty tough, right? God gives you confidence that He has called you. You didn't call Him and say, hi, God, I want to sign up to be part of your people. No, God has reached out and picked you. If God picks you, who is to say that you shouldn't go do what God wants you to do? Paul puts it this way, if God is for us, who is against us? Remember that, Romans 8? If God is for us, who is against us? The whole world could actually be against you, but if God is for us, who cares about the rest of the world? <laughs> God against the world, right? Yeah, I love that, the confidence. What else? There we go. God will never give you more than you can handle, more than you can do. Yeah, if it really is God saying, this is what you're supposed to go do, then God is going to be there with you, and it's going to get done. Absolutely. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. What else does it give you? Yes, yeah, God wins. <laughs> I've heard that same thing before. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to rename a lot of the, the, the uh, books in the Bible. I'd like to rename Revelation to God wins, right? Well, how would you rename Exodus? Exodus, that, that word Exodus means leaving, right? Let my people go. Yeah. Yeah. We're out of here. <laughs> <It's> a... 
we are leaving. Notice how God calls Moses from something, and then he takes him to something. Moses, you're living your life here as a shepherd, and all you're worried about today is how the goat cheese is going to turn out and, you know, whether you have some mint jelly for the mutton or whatever. (laughs) That's not what your life is going to be, Moses. I'm calling you out of that and calling you into something else. Be at peace with that. What else? Isn't this fun? I I like to press you on this because I think we have to be pressed. I want your life to be different the moment you walk out of here because of the fact that you have been here. Yes, endurance, that's another good word in this. Yeah, let's remember the Hebrew people were enslaved for about 400 years. Go back, what, is the, what year is this, 2019? What was going on in 1619? Some of you were here. Harriet was here in 16. No, I'm sorry, Harriet. <laughs> Yeah, what was life like back in 1619, (laughs) right? That's a long time to endure and to suffer, isn't it? And yet you do. Yeah, this this is not religion for easy times, easy people. Life is, you know, rainbows and puppy dogs kind of stuff. It's not that. It's for life in the trenches, in the tough times. What else is in this for you? Freedom, when he says, let my people go. Yes, freedom. Let's talk about the freedom thing for a second. Let's not not downplay this. Um, Freedom is a fascinating question historically for the peoples of the world, right? We live in a nation that supposedly was built on the idea that people should be free to do what they want to do in association with others, okay? And yet we know in our history that that has not always been lived out very well. And if you actually study any history at all, you realize that that issue of freedom is a continual issue for everybody, everywhere, in every situation. (laughs) I know that's a blanket statement. The only person who has complete freedom from everybody else is the person who lives completely alone. And then that person has to deal with the issue of freedom from themselves. Right? How many of you are sometimes your own worst enemy? Right? And so we have to deal with freedom from ourselves and then deal with how freedom plays itself out in the real world. Right? None of us are completely free. We are, we are bound by the relationships that we have. The moment you have a kid, you're bound by that relationship, aren't you? How many of you were able to send any of your kids back? Say, no, decided I didn't want to do this. Anybody here? How many of you were tempted to send any? Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, there we go, right? right? There are all kinds of things that, that claim us, okay, that, that, that bind us. But we follow a God who wants us to be free to follow Him. That's one of the big questions that people in a, in a so-called free society have to ask, is just how free are we, and are we actually promoting and working towards everybody else's freedom? Freedom from me. You should be free from me. I should be free from you. And yet, and yet, We're part of the people of God, which means we're bound to each other. 
Who was it that said that, that, that part of the implication of all of this means I'm not alone, right? The moment you're not alone, then you have issues of freedom. <laughs> you got another person to deal with. How many of you have days where you just don't want to deal with anybody? Do you have days like that? Do you have years like that? <laughs> right? God wants perfect freedom for us, the perfect freedom of knowing Him and being part of His people. My people. One of the major images, one of the major pictures of who you and I are as followers of Jesus is that we're part of a family, we're part of a nation, we're part of a building, we are a people. Think about who your people are, right? We have all kinds of people groups that we're part of. The one that trumps all of them, the one that overarches and defines all of them is the fact that we are claimed by God as His people. That's the thing we have to focus on today. Okay, you got some questions at the end there. Any other final questions, thoughts? Okay, personally speaking, we have the Jews who were God's chosen people. Mm -hmm. And now when I read the notes, we have the Christians who are God's own group. Okay, I find that very limiting. It, wouldn't there be a third group, the group of those who love God? Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Thank you for bringing that up. When God says, you're my people, God's first instruction is, go welcome everybody else to be my people. God, God is absolutely 100% radically inclusive of all people, right? The question is, do all people then come to God? There's, there's where the issue is. A lot of people reject God. We, of course, we argue a lot about just who this God is and what that means, but I would certainly say that part of what God is doing in the world is to say anybody who has any inkling of who I am and any inkling of what I want in the world, which in this instance is freedom for everyone to worship me and to live my way, those are my people, and everybody's welcome to be my people. And it's as we discover our identity as God's people, that I think we begin to discover the keys to how it is that we're going to get along with each other, right? Uh, I, one of the fascinating things that goes on when you go visit a place that's radically different from your own is that you're forced to meet people who are not like you, except then you begin to discover that they're like you, right? When you go with the church and you go to other churches, I mean, I've been hanging around with a lot of, lot of Syrian Orthodox Assyrian, traditional, Roman Catholic, Chaldean. I've been, I've been hanging around with a lot of people from other Christian traditions who are also part of God's people. I've also been hanging around a little bit with other people who are not Christian, who treated me in a very Christian way. I'll tell you the story, and I'll show you some pictures when I give the Iraq report. The first night that we were in Erbil, uh, Nuhad Tomei, who's our on-the-ground guy there, uh, and then... Um, Aman, I can't remember Aman's last name, a Presbyterian elder from the church in Mosul who now lives in Erbil, the two of them said, hey, Jack, we're going to go get some tea. Do you want to go with us? And so we walked at night into the center uh, of, of the, the Christian section of Erbil, 
And there was a little shop there where they were making tea and selling it. And then there were some little boys who were shining shoes. And so you could give them your shoes and have a cup of tea while you were waiting for your shoes to be shined. So here's three old men that walk up to this little tea stand and it's completely jammed with people. And there are two younger men. I want to say they're probably late 30s, early 40s. They get up from their chairs and insist that we go sit in their chairs. And then eventually other people get up and they join us and we have some tea with each other and visit for a while with each other and talk and then we get up and get ready to leave and they have already paid for our tea they won't let us buy our tea okay well in the midst of the conversation it's come out you know that I'm a Presbyterian pastor from San Diego and Nuhad is a Presbyterian pastor from Syria now now living in Tucson and Amman is a Presbyterian elder from Mosul now living in Erbil and we get up and leave and I asked uh, Nuhad and I asked Amman I said tell me about those guys you were visiting with them all in Arabic of course which I don't understand who were they? What were they all about? And the guy, and 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 who had said uh, to me, he said one of them was Kurdish, and the other was uh, Shiite. These were not Christian people who had invited us to sit down with them, but they're God's people. Isn't that interesting? Let's just pray. God, we praise you and we thank you that you have claimed us as your own. We praise you and we thank you that people all over the world know who you are. We praise you and we thank you that you give us the job of telling and teaching and living with those who don't so that someday they will learn and so that someday we will be all of your people living together in harmony on the face of this good earth. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.